Do you really want your company to stand out in the crowded digital space? Do you want to get more people to know, like, and trust you with your story? Authentic Web Video Marketing Agency can help you to collect those stories, the stories that sell, connect the stories to the situation, produce the videos that you need in each of the situations, and then use the latest techniques, including video ads, retargeting, and email to deliver those video stories. Authentic Web is the video production and marketing agency trusted by top marketers to help their story stand out in a crowded space. Visit AuthenticWeb.media to learn more. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here, and today we're going to talk about storytelling. Actually, our guest today is the master of helping people tell their stories succinctly in pitches, uh, helping tech companies really get that story down to speak to investors, and helping all sorts of technical people. Plus, he's a speaker, runs his own podcast, uh, and just awesome all-around guy. I met him through our mutual friend, Tony Grebmeyer, so you know he's got to be amazing. John Livesay, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I love talking to fellow storytellers. Yes, it's fun and marketers and all that stuff. And it, you know what? I, I, it's interesting because I've been thinking about a lot this lately. You know, because we do video storytelling, and the difference is like we do video storytelling with a, a goal here at Authentic Web. You know, it's because it's business, so you have to have a goal. And we're a lot of, there's a lot of storytellers out there where it's an emotional, and maybe it's like, hey, we're going to teach a lesson, or it's an emotional ride. But you and I, we do storytelling for business. Uh, really to help people have some sort of business goal. And how do you feel that's different than just storytelling? Well, um, storytelling, if you go to the movies, for example, it's all about let's let's escape, right? Let's go on a journey. Let's be inspired. Let's be scared. Let's be entertained. Uh, but storytelling with business ideally still does all three of those things, inspires, entertains, and informs. But there's – a way of doing it that pulls people in. Uh, you know, the old way of pitching for business is selling yourself and pushing your message out. You know, commercials are basically a push way of communicating. Here's an interruption in your show. Here's an ad in a magazine, whatever it is. Um, it's a push message. Storytelling pulls people in because it goes from left brain to right brain. If I say I'm going to try and sell you something now, you know, you get your analytical brain on and you cross your arms and you think, all right, I'm going to start analyzing numbers. But if I say, let me tell you a story, ah, my arms open up, I'm going to relax. Maybe you'll even entertain me in this story. Or, uh, But I certainly don't feel defensive. And storytelling, the right side of our brain where imagination lives, that's where the selling occurs. So once people realize that you need to be a good storyteller to pull people in, and the biggest part is 
guess what? People remember your stories, not your numbers. Yeah, it's so true. I tell you know, and people talk about that. And I tell people that you know, it's it's what our brains are geared to remember. So you, you're called the pitch whisperer. You you have a book, uh, the successful pitch. You have a podcast about pitching. What does it take to create a compelling pitch? Well, you have to be three things. You have to be clear. You have to be concise, and you have to be compelling. So you need to hit all three of those C's. So if you confuse people, you're not clear, the confused mind always says no. That's the first thing, right? Then the concise part. When you pitch, you want to just tell people enough to get them intrigued to say, ah, that's interesting. Tell me more. In other words, don't try to boil the ocean in your pitch. (laughs) Just intrigue people enough to pull them in. And then, of course, compelling. Tell me something that my brain hasn't heard. So people say, what do you do, John? Oh, I'm the pitch whisperer. I help people go from invisible to irresistible. Uh, What's a pitch whisperer? How do you do that? Whatever it is that I might say something that their brain – I know what a horse whisperer is, but what's a pitch whisperer? Well, a pitch whisperer, much like a horse whisperer, helps people with their confidence, right? Calm people down before they go up to pitch. But really, I help people with the three unspoken questions that everybody has in their head when you're pitching. And I stop. And I get permission for them to say, I want to know what those three questions are. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's a conversation, right? It's not just me telling everything I know about myself and pitching. So they go, all right, well, what are the three questions that people have in their head? I go, yes, these are questions no one's going to ask you. But guess what? You need to address them before you're going to get a yes. Okay, I'm in. What are they? All right. So the first one is, do I trust you? which is a gut thing. And, you know, the handshake was shown that you don't have a weapon in your hand. It's safe to be around me. The fight or flight response kicks in instinctively. So how do I build trust? Well, eye contact, credibility, right? Okay, so once you've got some trust built in, then what? Then it moves from your gut to your heart. Oh, what's going on there? Well, I'm in business. My heart? Yes, your heart. Likeability. The empathy factor, you must show empathy, put yourself in the other person's shoes. You know, when I work with Gensler, a big architecture design firm, they build airports, it's a five-year project, 20 million plus dollars. They were told, we're gonna pick the team, the firm that we like the best because we gotta work with you for five years. So unless you have those soft skills to go with your hard skills of design, you're not gonna get hired as much. And then so we go heart and then we go to the head. And as you're pitching, people are thinking to themselves, hmm, will this work for me? Will I get a return on investment? He's telling me a story of someone else he's helped. Can I see myself in that story? So those are the things you need to talk about without directly saying, here's why I'm trustworthy. Wow. Yeah. And it, it and it's, it's tough to do that, right, without a... Uh without just blabbing on people. So how do you work, how do you work through condensing that down? Well, it's it's speaking in sound bites, right? Like for me I tell people um, a really great pitch tugs at your heartstrings so that people want to open their purse strings. So that's everything, right? It's clear, <laughs> it's concise and it's compelling and ideally rem- memorable. So when I work with people I say, "Okay, what is it about what you do?" Let's answer two big questions so I can pull it out. 
who do you help and what problem do you solve for those people? That's your 90 second, 60 second elevator pitch. Once you get that down and then you get permission from people to say, I'm interested, tell me more, or even if they don't need it, maybe they know someone they can refer you to, that's how you start those elements. And then of course, once you're invited to quote pitch and come in for 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is, you have to really have it down. You really strong stories of your story of why you and why now. Yes, 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 yes. So when you develop, who are you helping with these pitches? Because I'm, I'm immediately going thinking tech companies in front of VC. When I think pitches, that's what I think. Yes, that's certainly one group of people that I do help. I've gotten many uh, startups uh, funded through helping them with a great pitch and then introductions to the investors. So it's a one-two combo that's uh, really a winning. But I also help small companies, small business owners, as well as big companies like I mentioned, Gensler, a big architecture firm. They're architects. They don't have any sales training. They don't have anybody in the in – the, they've never been to they – they have to pitch – so any any company, any size that needs to pitch to get hired, that's who I help. And the most people say, oh, I don't want to have formal sales training. I'm like, forget selling. Tell stories instead. Mm-hmm. It's in our DNA. You know, we used to sit around the glow of a campfire in the caveman days telling stories, and now we sit around the glow of PowerPoints. So once I encourage them to tell stories, let me give you an example, if I may. So I was working with a team at Gensler. And I said, all right, so there's a team slide. Ironically, there's a team slide in every pitch, right? Whether you're pitching for funding, pitching to get a new customer. And I said, what's that look like? What do you say when you show this team slide? It's a bunch of pictures of people and their bios. Well, we talk about I've been here 10 years. This is what I do. And I said, all right, we're going to craft a little story, 30 seconds, maybe a minute on each of you. That's going to be memorable, clear, concise, all the three things. So I had them do a little homework of your story of origin, which is a great way to start for everybody. What made you become an architect? And more importantly, why do you like working at Gensler? And so they, oh, well, one guy said, you know, well, I played with Legos when I was a kid. And that inspired me to become an architect. And now I'm an architect. I play with my son, who's 11. Uh, I still play with Legos. So that's endearing. It's heartwarming. They're like, got it. And he goes, and this person on my team, her name is Sue. Um, And she says, hi, I used to uh, be in the Israeli army before I came to Gensler. And what I worked with her on that was I take my uh, focus and discipline from being in the Israeli army and apply it to your project to make sure it comes on time and under budget. Well, guess what? They won that account because I went through all four team members and they had those little snippets and handed it off story to story to story. And they're like, those people at Gensler are the right. They get us and we we want to work with them. That's awesome. I love that because, you know, and I tell people all the time too, it's like, it, 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 we're not just, as a business, we're not just one story, right? We are mm-hmm. a collection of stories. And I love how you got that all together. That's really neat. Um, so when you go forward with these with these pitches, I mean, are, are they, are you adapting them over and over? You have one universal one. Tell me how you, once you go further out into the world, you take this pitch and now you have to use it in marketing. How do you do that? Well, what I, every pitch is customized. So uh, in the case of, again, uh, Gensler, if they're going to show examples of their work for other law firms, I'll say, all right, we need a story here, not just the picture. 
so we you know we we do a whole in-depth dive as to you know what was it like before the design what was it like after the design did the productivity go up all those kinds of things but again it's that heartwarming story we're looking for to make that story memorable so they said you know when we were giving the staff the tour of the newly designed offices um they had been working especially the assistants in a dark hallway they didn't have any windows only the, the only windows were for the lawyers and we opened all that up and they had windows and one of the assistants her eyes filled up with tears because she's like oh my god i'm going to be able to see the sun during the day now when i'm working so that's the kind of story that shows that these employees are going to be more engaged, more loyal, more motivated through design. And that's how I customize a story for each pitch that I work on. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you, how did you go about finding, and because you're obviously awesome at this and it's a, a supreme talent. How'd you go about finding, get, get to this path of becoming the pitch whisperer? Mm. Well, I, I was at Condé Nast, which publishes GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair, W, several magazines. And I sold advertising for them across print, uh, digital and video. They created video content and I would sell video pre-roll as a new way to get additional sources of income. And one of the things I did for them in my corporate position packaging all these brands across all these platforms was to look for startups that they could help monetize the brand. So Condé Nast's challenge was nobody was clicking on the static banner ads on their websites and they were in danger of losing their digital revenue because the advertisers said, you know, we'll spend money for branding on print, but we're not going to spend it on digital. We want to sell some stuff and see an ROI. So I found a startup called Hallstars, H-A-U-L, which was a shoppable video player. And he came in and he pitched it and he confused them with the pricing and he talked about the features of how it all was timestamped. And they walked and, and they said, we're not going to use that. And I said, all right, let me work with him on his pitch. And I said, look, nobody cares about the features. They only care about the problem. <laughs> so we need to paint a picture. So we're instead of a static banner ad, it's going to be a video, a day in the life of a fashion blogger. And guess what? We're going to overlay your shoppable video player on that. So as people are watching this two minute video ad, that's a story, they'll be able to buy the clothes right off what the fashion blogger is talking about because she's going to change clothes several times within the two minutes. That's the, solving the problem of nobody clicking and nobody buying. So he said, so we, I went in, then style.com said, great, you go with our rep and the founder and pitch this to AG Jeans. So I went into AG Jeans. They said, oh, this is exactly the kind of thing we're looking for. So we'll uh, test it. So in three days, they sold $50,000 worth of denim. Style.com wow. got to keep their business. Hallstars got proof of concept. And I realized I had a business which was helping tech people or anybody who is not normally, quote, a salesperson. I realized that I could solve a problem. And as an entrepreneur, it's so important to know that you're solving a problem that's a big problem. So if only 1% of pitches to investors are getting funded, that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. So I figured if I could start there and help anybody who wants to get funded, that's great. But also I realized there's a lot of companies out there that are not designed to sell their products because they don't have a sales force. They have a team of people who execute the work who are then tasked with selling it. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not, but they're, they need my help to become a storyteller so they feel comfortable telling their stories of 
why they're the right person to execute this project. What is the number one mistake that you see when people are first doing pitches? Well, there's more than one. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, The number one is not preparing enough. I would say that's the number one. You know, Arthur Ashe said the key to success is confidence, and the key to confidence is preparation. And sometimes I see people who go, you know what, I've been doing this a while, I'm just going to wing it. I'm Hmm. like, oh, okay, what does that sound like? Um, duh, let me, hi, uh, I'm so excited to be here today. And I'm like, you know what, nobody cares that you're excited to be here. Everyone else says that. You need to have a strong opening pitch that grabs people's attention. So let's work on that opening to make sure that we've got them in the first 90 seconds. Even if you're given 10, 20 minutes, if you don't grab people in the first 90 seconds, they tune out. They start checking their voice, texters, whatever. So that's the biggest mistake I see is people are afraid of practicing because they're afraid they're going to sign robotic. And you can still practice and not be robotic. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I had Michael Port on and we were talking about that, about practicing your speech. And you get past that point. Right. Yes. Where now it's natural, just like in a play, uh, an actor, great actors yes. get past that point of mm-hmm. robotics. Um, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, what else in crafting your, your pitches? Where where do you see the, the biggest mistake and to remedy that? How do you remedy that? Sure. The other big mistake I see is people um, either trashing their competition or ignoring their competition. Mm. Uh And so one extreme or the other is not good, right? Let's not pretend there's not an elephant in the room when there's an elephant in the room. We all know they have choices. So you need to address the fact of what makes you unique. And the best way to do that, of course, is through a story. You know, we were up for a big account. It was between us and another firm. And we were fortunate enough to win the business. See the choice of words there. We were fortunate enough. We were privileged to win. It was an honor to win. You need to stay humble and confident at the same time. And what that client told us was the three reasons they picked us were we listened, they liked us and trusted us, and we had the experience that they knew if there was a problem that came up, we could have the resources to solve it, right? I'm just making those idea, those things up. But having th- that's that kind of thing is a clear way to distinguish you from a competitor so that you're not seen as a commodity. So good. So good. So, you know, how else then, you know, once we get the pitch for the business, how else are you using these pitches? And, and, and talk, let's talk about a little bit about that because you were telling me a little about how you even use it to win back old business. Yes. Well, you know, what I find is um, after clients typically have me come in and give a keynote and possibly a workshop and then work with them on winning more business, they have this cold case of files of clients that they've lost for whatever reason. A competitor took it. Maybe they made a mistake. Uh, whatever it is. Attrition in general. There was some turnover, personalities, etc. And they said, you know, everybody has them. We have this list of clients we lost and nobody knows how to win them back. So when I was working with a client that had lost um, somebody, they, they, I said, well, what are your thoughts? You know, you, they've been, they told you they were mad because you didn't deliver something you promised and you're going to be in the penalty box for a year. And now, granted, this was a relationship they had for over 10 years. So it was devastating and revenue-wise and emotionally. Well, first of all, you have to own it. <laughs> and I, I said, what do you, they, they told you you could come back in a year, but they needed a year to use someone else and cool off. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? 
well, we thought we'd give them a, a presentation on research on how trends have been going on in the last year. And I said, <laughs> they don't want to hear of that. They, this, is a, this is a meeting to repair and rebuild the relationship. And they went, oh, well, we really don't know how to do that. If you think we're having struggles with storytelling and, and being likable, we have no way, we don't have a roadmap. And I said, you know, it's so interesting because in the medical field, they have an M&M you know, when someone dies, right? It's a mortality and morbidity thing. And they have a, a no-blame-game environment where they just learn what went wrong, what went right, what can we do to fix it, make sure it doesn't happen again. I said, unless you put in some kind of system to make sure that kind of mistake doesn't happen again, don't even try to win them back. But if you have that in place and are confident with that, it first starts with an apology, asking open-ended questions, what did we do wrong or what did we do when we really lost your confidence? Where did we, where did we not hear you? What, you know, what was the mistake we made that we could have done better so that going forward, if we ever have the potential to work together, we could not make that mistake and let the person feel heard. People have to feel like you've heard them before they want to hear from you. And you have to clear the air before you start talking about any kind of future together. In one scenario, John Deere, had lost an account, and um, the person there said to the person that was the decision maker, would it help if the president of our company called you personally, not the other president of your company, but you, and apologized? Would that begin to open the door? And they said yes, and that was how John Deere was able to start winning back a client. So you have to get upper management involved, and you know it's not about going over somebody's head, but get upper management to speak to the person who's mad. So there's a whole process. I give a whole talk on that and a whole procedure. But I've been able to um, win back accounts uh, for myself when I was at Condé Nast. That's how I was able to win Salesperson of the Year. And then I've been able to help my clients win back their accounts. You know, especially if 20% of your clients are giving you 80% of your revenue and one of those 20 percenters with all that high revenue goes away, it's a big dent on the bottom line. So to figure out a strategy on how to win them back is really something that people are looking for it's a huge yeah i mean that's it's a benefit because it's so hard to acquire a lead yeah but also you're improving your business too right and Mm -hmm. we all know that too it's as long as you have a broken trust like if we did something wrong that wasn't like a violation of trust it's like a relationship when you break up and you come back it's like yeah it's even stronger it's even a better relationship and you're more involved only if you're willing to show your vulnerability yes and you have to say things like, you know what, is it me? Because I'll fire myself and give you somebody else at my company to work with you. If it's a personality thing about me, don't not work with my company because of me, right? If, unless you're a solopreneur, but you know, if it's a big company, <laughs> thing, things like that, right? But you know, just sometimes being willing to say, look, I messed up, I'm sorry, I own it. Here's what I'm gonna do to make sure it doesn't happen again. What would it take? What, and what's ironic about all this is much like relationships, you change, you get a new relationship and you think, you know, maybe that previous relationship wasn't as bad as I thought it was. This new one's not any better. They still do X, Y, and Z, right? They, it's, whatever it is in personal life or business, that person still has bad breath in the morning or whatever it is, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes, and, but the client themselves may, quote, miss you and not know how to come back. Right. So everyone's ego has to be dialed down and you have to woo them back versus them. They're not going to pick up the phone and go, you know what? 
uh, you know, we've forgiven you. We don't like this new vendor. Come back. That doesn't happen very much. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen very much at all. Uh, that's great. That is awesome. Um, and, and it's huge advice. So when, you know, you, you tell stories and now you, tell me a little bit about how you made it now into a speaking uh, you have you do a lot of speaking. You've become you've been on TV. How have you moved up, and how have you had that success in marketing yourself? Mm. Well, this is part of the joy of hosting a podcast, as you know. Not only do you get to interview really interesting people, and I've learned something from every guest of mine, but I repurposed my content, and I have a feeling that you're big on that too. Uh, so once you have a podcast and you have all these episodes, I took ten of my favorite episodes. And it was challenging to pick. And I asked my guests if they would be willing to let me put their transcripts from their show in my book. And all of them said yes. And they all have big social media followings. So I took that and re-edited it and made it the successful pitch book, Conversations on Going from Invisible to Investable. And it was really a sense of giving people who read the book, you're eavesdropping in on these conversations. So I took my podcast, repurposed it into a book. And then from there, I was able to pitch myself as the expert on how to get what you want. And it's like how to ask for what you want and get a yes, right? So that's a broader topic than just the successful pitch. And it gets it out of your mindset, oh, it's just pitching for money. Um, But everyone wants to know how to ask for what you want and get a yes, whether it's a date, a job, get hired, promoted, new client, whatever. So um, I – I've been on daytime talk shows and the news on, well, you know what? We all want more confidence. We all want to learn how to do it. So one of the questions somebody asked me on television was, well, how does someone get a job? What, do you, what tips do you have for that? Because we have a lot of viewers out there looking for jobs. And I said, well, you know, at the end of an interview, typically they'll say to you, do you have any questions? And I was coaching someone once and they said, well, I'd probably ask, it was a millennial, sorry, um, uh, how, what, how much vacation do I get and what are my benefits, right? And I said, that's the wrong question. Here's a better question. What would it look like if I was to exceed your expectations? And the host of the TV show said, oh, my God, that's brilliant. I said, well, that's what the employer thought, too. And they hired the guy on the spot because no one had asked that kind of question that shows empathy. It shows the ability that you're going to work above and beyond. And you're thinking about what's important for the company, not yourself. So that was a four minute segment. Boom. And of course now I have a TV scissor reel and that, you know, so podcast book, television appearances, that's my recipe for getting booked as a speaker because they can watch not just as, you know, I really, most people as a speaker have scissor reel of yourself speaking in an audience and that's great, but very few have a scissor reel of you on TV talking about your topic and it helps them get their audience excited. Oh, we've got so-and-so who's on television as the expert on how to get a yes. And that's what we're all about on this workshop retreat with client relationships. Yes. You got me to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and, I mean, yeah, getting a yes is so important. But, I, you know, you're talking about empathy and the importance of empathy. And how do you – I mean, empathy and storytelling, especially for sales, is critical, critical, critical because it connects you. How do you get empathy across in a pitch? Literally, you know, the whole concept of empathy is great. In fact, I'm going to uh, give a shout out to Tim Sanders' book, The Likeability Factor. 
Um, doctors spend more time with patients they like. Teachers spend more time with students they like. You're less likely to get laid off from a big corporate job if they like you. It supersedes performance and seniority. It's wild. So we need to learn how to show empathy. And it's there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say it starts from the very beginning. So when I'm coaching a team to go into pitch and it's, you know, when I was at Connie Nass, it was one rep after another. And oftentimes in the design world, when they go pitch, you know, their competitors at noon, they're on at one and the, now somebody else is on at two. So you run into each other in the lobby, literally, right? And so the client's sitting there hearing pitch after pitch. Well, it starts from the moment you leave your home. You have to have the right mindset. Um, and I say, you need to start showing empathy for the receptionist. And I have the team start saying things like, you know, Imagine that there's three phone lines ringing, there's a FedEx guy, and then your uh, competitors are leaving and you're walking in the door. You know, there's a lot of ways to handle that situation. You could say, hey, we got a two o'clock and be rude. Or you could say, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, um, but we have a two o'clock. That's sympathy a little bit. I'm sorry. But the real tick is, you know what? You must feel like an air traffic controller today. All these phones and people here, whenever you have a second, let me know. She's like, oh, I kind of do feel like an air traffic controller. And she's like, thanks. And then she gets – and then you do your pitch. You're leaving. They, you say goodbye. You go down the elevator. And the client turns to the receptionist and the receptionist says, hey, you know what? I really like those people from Gensler. And he's like, oh, good to know. Yep. So yep. that's that's even before you get in the room showing empathy. Yeah. And that's so, it, so important for priming the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yes. it's yeah that and, and that's something so i i had paul zach on uh just this last episode and he really talks about empathy and the the he's does all this neuroscience research and studied cortisol and oxytocin levels and and that but we got a little into framing and getting that set up and so you know when you're talking about pitches you know how much are you working also on the framing aspect of it, getting it set up? Because every situation is going to be a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's uh, the framing part, especially as it relates to the team. That I tell everybody, your most important slide on your pitch deck is your team slide. Because investors literally tell me, you know, we're investing in the jockey, not the horse. You know, the jockey's the team and the horse is the idea. So uh, the horse is your design if you're an architect. It's the team, team, team. So you need to frame it up. So uh, an example of that would be, you know, uh, here's my story of why I love working at Gensler. I played with Legos, and I can't wait for you to listen to my colleague, Sue. Um, She is the best in the business, and that's why we handpicked her to be on this team to work for you. So you edify your team. That's the frame. So you've already introduced them as an expert, and picked. It's not some random assignment. We pick the best of the best to work for you if we get hired so that people automatically are preceded to say, well, anything out of her mouth is going to be good then, right? Wow. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And, you know, what's interesting, too, when you bring it back, to, like when we do video marketing for people, we're like, well, you have to be telling the stories to, to anyone that opts in and you have to tell the story all across the board and you have to retell it. But People don't realize that this, a lot of people don't realize this. That the second most used page on your website is the about us page, because mm-hmm. even if they're buying a, a piece of software, they're still buying the person that made that software. Yes. And 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 now you're saying this, I'm like, well, that's I mean, that's very true. And then also, 
I was just thinking about too from our onboarding because we we introduce our team in our onboarding. We tell our clients, you know, you have to have onboarding videos and, and show your team. But really, that adds some depth to the bench. And I love the way that you presented that because it's not just saying, "Hey, here's these people." It's like you you're excited to meet these people. Man, that's fantastic. That's a nice little piece of nuance that people need to pay attention to. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that's that's really good. And that's where I love talking to experts like yourself because while your big message is great, you've get you know if people really listen to you. You've got those little little tricks that are little tricks, but really make all the difference in the world, don't they, in the pitch? It's so true because it's like listening to somebody play the piano, right? You can have somebody who's okay at it hit the notes, and it's certainly better than somebody who hasn't practiced and hits the bad notes. Um, but if you really want to be a master and, and make it seem like you're hearing the music for the first time because the way that person hits the music with its subtleties and they've, they're no longer worried about hitting the right notes, they're beyond into the artistry of it, that's what happens with the pitching, right? So if you're at the place where your, your team is hitting a couple wrong notes because they're not preparing, I can get you from that to good. But if you really want to close more sales, I get you from good to great with all the nuances. Fantastic. Um so how do you make yourself better at this on a daily basis? I immerse myself in reading and studying uh, and f- continuing to be a student of great storytelling and looking at it uh, from a standpoint of what else can I learn? I think all of us need to stay curious and you know, there's new ways to tell stories all the time. So I'm personally uh, fascinated by what's going on in artificial intelligence, virtual reality and augmented reality. In fact, uh, the people at Gensler now are taking uh, virtual reality goggles to presentations so that their clients can immerse themselves in what the design would feel like, not just look like. So the more we can use all this new technology to make us better storytellers, uh, that's really my passion of staying on top of that. But it all starts with the best story and then yes. augmenting it. Not starting with you don't start with the goggles. You start with Correct. the story, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's called augmented reality. The reality has to be compelling enough uh, to want to augment it. <laughs> love that. I love that. And and great storytelling. You know, it, bring back because I just did this interview with Paul Zach, so he's fresh on my mind. But he they did all this research and. They have all this chemistry down, and like, and and actually, the U.S. government, the military, paid them a ton of money to buy all these tools so they could become better storytellers and use them for. I don't know what the military is going to use it for, but through all of that, he said they still don't have a great formula that they could do and make sure that that story hits every time. And there's just such an art form for it, and that's where people like yourself will never go out of you know will never be taken away by technology. AI will never take it away because if they can, can't go through the chemistry and have an algorithm to make a story, I don't think at this point, I mean, it's nowhere in the near future. No, I don't think I'm going to, that, that's the human connection, right? It's like saying, oh, we're going to use artificial intelligence to see whether you're, uh, we can predict who you might get along with in a match.com kind of algorithm. But until you meet the person and you see a quote, if there's the magic chemistry, I mean, when you kiss somebody, you're literally smelling them. That's the chemistry. It's a chemical pheromone. So there's there's no way that technology can uh, anticipate that. And the same thing's true on a gut level, right? Do I trust you? Uh, what's my gut telling me? Um, but there are some genres of storytelling and movies that go along with it and brands using those genres that might be useful 
to leave with so that your listeners feel like, oh, I can start thinking about my own brand now in those genres. Would you like to go through that? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Um, so the first one is uh, Rags to Riches, right? Cinderella, the classic movie of that. Well, Johnny Walker Scotch uses that. It was a poor farmer, and now he's Johnny Walker's, right? Um, then there's the um, leave home, have an adventure, and then come back and tell about it genre. Well, classic Wizard of Oz. Yes? So Expedia says, leave home, go book a trip on Expedia, have an amazing adventure, and then come back and tell your friends about it. Then there's the quest, right? Lord of the Rings, classic quest storytelling. Lexus's tagline, the pursuit of perfection. Always on that quest. And then the final one is rebirth. And that's, it's a wonderful life, right? And Prudential's saying, you know what? Retirement is your rebirth. It's your third act. We'll help you figure it out. So there you go. Four genres, four movies, and four brands, so you can start to think about, oh, which of those four do I want to be on to craft my own personal story, and what movie do I most resonate with if what I, where I am right now, and then how can I use that when I start telling my story? Awesome. Awesome. That's so beneficial, and that's such a great place for people to start, right, and, mm-hmm. and, and start putting it together. Um, John, let's say thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you and they want to work with you, you've got a book. You've got the, the podcast. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your podcast. Sure. The Successful Pitch is every week, and I interview not just investors but thought leaders who share what makes a great pitch and, the, as you said, the storytelling elements that go into it. And it's, it's full of great information like your show. So I, I highly recommend people um, listen to that. And if you text the word pitch – to 66866, I'll send you a free PDF of the three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching. And on Twitter, it's at John underscore Livesey, L-I-V as in Victor, E-S-A-Y. And I'll be happy to answer any direct messaging there. And I've been mispronouncing your name the whole time. And I, I deserve it because most people mispronounce my name. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but John, thank you so much. Such beneficial information. Amazing. And if, so, and if someone wants to work with you, uh, do they just go to your website and sign up? Yep. How does that work? Just go to johnlivesay.com and uh, book in a time to have a chat with me. And um, I'm happy to uh, engage with anybody who's interested in working with me on their pitch or keynote speaks or whatever it might be. Awesome. John, thanks again for being on the show. It's been fantastic. So much amazing information. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you all for listening to The Garlic Marketing Show. And thanks for taking John and I on your journey. And make sure you're telling some great stories out there. That's it for The Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 